Hi, it's Paul Tizard. I'm a fear of flying coach. I've been doing that for 25 years. And today I am going to be talking about neuro-linguistic programming and fear of flying. There's going to be three parts to today's. Uh, so the first part, I'm going to go through the background to NLP, where it all come from, what it all means, et cetera, et cetera. Then we're going to go through some techniques that are intended to give you an idea of what's available, some of the stuff that you will definitely come across if you've ever been in the NLP world. But also, time permitting, I might even go through a couple of those techniques as well. And then at the end, give my opinion on what I think is whether it's any good or not. For those who don't know, NLP was created by two doctors, Bandler and Grinder, which I have to get the pronunciation just right. And the actual name for it came from Richard Bandler. And I don't know if this is a true story or not, but he was stopped by the police and asked, what do you do? And he said, oh, I do uh, NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. So I don't know if that's a true story or not, but that's the one I've read, so it's got to be true. And the idea was that neuro, as in brain, and linguistic, language, programming. So in other words, how you talk to yourself and what you say to yourself is a really important thing because you can talk yourself into or out of beliefs that can either help you or not help you. So if you think about helpful thoughts, patterns that you might have, that you might be saying to yourself, certain things about the way that you see the world and those thought patterns can underpin lots of beliefs that you might have and, and things that you just know to be true. So one of the things that Bandler and Grinder found is that we all have different mental models of the world and or maps or whatever you want to call it but we all see and experience the world completely differently. Now this is not a surprise but at the time uh, back in the 70s when they were thinking about how do I get these models out and how do I get people to think about it this was a big big deal you know because we would look at somebody and say oh, why do they behave that way why do they act that way and we might even form judgments thinking that that's not the right way to go about things or that's not the right way to live your life because we live our lives through our perception of the world and our perception is unique to us so one of the things that they found by studying I think there was three therapists that they based a lot of their initial work on, which was Milton Erickson, who was a hypnotherapist and of repute. So anybody who's moved in those circles would have definitely heard of Erickson or Ericksonian. So his techniques, particularly around language, etc. So you'll see a lot of that's come through the NLP world. Also, Fritz Perls, who is uh, still considered to be the founder of the Gestalt movement. And so I'm interested in that as well, but that'll be a later one. And then Virginia Satir, I think that's how you pronounce it. And she was a well-known, and still is actually, a well-known family therapist or family group therapist. And so these people were having amazing success with their clients. And Bandler and Grinder were asked that curious question. What is it that they're doing that other therapists are not doing? What is it that they're doing that other people are not doing? Why are they getting the results they're getting? What is it? I mean, they were born a human. They've, they've come up through whatever up, upbringing they've had. And yet here they are making 
extraordinary leaps forward and getting terrific results for their clients. And so Bandler and Grinder were kind of like, there must be a way to understand what they do. So in other words, if I can understand how you do something, what's your process, I can almost reverse engineer you. So let me just say that again. So if you're good at something and I want to be good at it, and this is one of their tests that they started to prove it, uh, they would say they, they made a bold claim. I can teach a nine-year-old to shoot like a marksman, like a pro sniper. And these are some of the things that they had to back up. And what they believed and went on to demonstrate time and time again is that if someone's amazing at something, often they don't know why they're amazing at it. So if you think of somebody that's maybe well-known or maybe not somebody just outstanding at a particular skill or something that they can do, and then you want to be like that, if you could reverse engineer it and understand what's their process, what is it you say to yourself? What is it you feel? Is there an order that these things happen? Do the thoughts come first? What is it's underpinning their belief? So if you can kind of underneath the skin of their belief system and understand it and access it and then plot it out. And they were literally like, these two guys were like coders and would go through and say, you know, what's the process? What's the map, the route that these people are taking? What are they telling themselves that's different to the rest of us that we could copy and then integrate and make it our own? And so this is really relevant, by the way. So you might be thinking, is this NLP talk or fear of flying? It's definitely fear of flying. So people that have kind of seized the moment and said, this is great stuff. I'll just give you a few names that you would have heard of. Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins, obviously, uh, Paul McKenna, and even Darren Brown. And they found by paying attention to what people say and the way they say it and the way that people do stuff can help them then to change the way they do things. Because if we start from the fact that everyone has a different mental model or perception of the world, we all experience the world completely differently and in a different sort of way that's rich and unique for every human, if we can understand what you're doing, then we can help you to break that pattern or to look at it in a slightly different or more helpful way. Yeah, so that's how NLP is often used to help people to overcome limiting beliefs. And one of those limiting beliefs being perhaps that I will love flying. So as you say that to yourself, this will give you some idea of what your belief system is. If you just say in your head right now, or you can say it out loud, if that's not too strange, I love flying. I, I'm, I'm a completely confident flyer. I love it. <laughs> now, if that isn't true, there'll be a little voice in your head that goes, rubbish, and, or worse. Uh, because these belief systems are very powerful. So whatever we're telling ourselves, it really matters. And so our perception of the world and what happened to us is really true for us. And so NLP is always very respectful of that. So if I'm helping somebody when I use NLP, which I do, so I'll get into that in a minute with some techniques. If I'm using NLP as part of a process, and I think this is really good for a lot of coaches use NLP as part of something else. Some do it standalone, but it's often used, uh, you know, coaching and NLP are happy bedfellows. And when you look at it like that, I'm trying to understand how do you see that situation. I'm already 
putting in some references there is that you may not see the situation the way I do. You might experience it in a very different way. So, for example, we're on a flight together. Uh, you remember flights? Uh, we're on a flight together and there's a bit of turbulence. So what happens to you is different to what happens to me. So what you think about that and what you experience are very different. So we will both feel movement. We both might hear some rattling of the overhead lockers. Yeah. We might hear the seatbelt signs go on and see the seatbelt signs go on. So these are all facts that have happened. But how much I feel versus you is not the same. Because as a non-nervous flyer, obviously, I love flying. Uh, I think turbulence is just like my mental model is, well, it's just like a bumpy road. You know, it's like a cobbly street. You're just bobbling along. It's just a slight disturbance of the lift, but the lift hasn't gone. It's just slightly wobbling, a bit like being on a boat. So even if it's a bit rocky on a boat, I still know the boat is going to hold me in the water. And that's the same belief system that I have about turbulence being up in the aircraft. But if your belief about turbulence is that fundamentally we're not safe, then you will experience the same movement as I do, but you'll experience it much worse because you'll be thinking, oh my God, that was a, that was a drop, that was a plummet. So we have to be very respectful when we're talking to people. And, I'd, and I'm always trying to be mindful of this, is that when you're talking about your experience of flying it's not the same perception that I have and that's true for you so we have to work from your place and try to help you to then work out what is your process how do you reverse engineer it how do you change the way that you feel about flying and so the typical way that you might hear this uh, NLPers will talk about the VAK visual auditory kinesthetic so uh, that's just one way of it of doing it so that when you listen to people's language, there you go, listen to people's language, you will hear certain phrases. Yeah, you see what I mean? That look right, can you do that sound right? And that, this is just a way of trying to work out what is their sort of uh, internal representation of what's going on? Does it start with a feeling? Does it start with a thought? Do they see something? And these are just clues for us to try and help you to re-engineer your own programming, yeah? So Tony Robbins actually went on to say, I've had quite a lot of them to this, but the thing that Tony Robbins was particularly well known for is that if somebody is amazing at something, so somebody can ride a horse amazingly and you want to be able to ride a horse, you go for lessons with the person who's the best because they'll give you the shortcuts, the tips, and if you can model the way that they think about it and the way they approach it, then you'll have an accelerated learning curve. And this is very much in line with the NLP training is that you try and mimic, copy and then reproduce. But in your own way, the strategies that are working for somebody who's really good at something. So you could take it to another extreme and say, if somebody's not scared of flying, somebody, you know, it's not enough for them to say, because you probably have relatives that just say to you, well, look at me, I'm all right. I'm not scared, Like that's meant to be helpful. Uh, but if you could actually suspend your judgment and be curious, what is it, your, what is their process? What is it that they're saying or doing that I'm not doing? And if I start to mimic some of that stuff, there's a chance I can shift my own perceptions and belief around flying, yeah? I'm gonna go through yeah, let's go through some techniques. 
there's lots and lots of NLP techniques. And I was very fortunate when I did my training that I, I heard from Richard Bander, who's up on the stage with Paul McKenna. And one of the things that he said was that when I look at the books that have come out since me and, you know, Dr. Grinder came up with NLP, there's lots of books. I have no idea what's in them. I don't know what the techniques are because things evolve. But the core of it, and this is what I really took from it, the core of it is looking at what somebody's doing. If somebody's doing something great, how could I do that to speed up my learning curve? And if somebody's doing, somebody's doing something that's not helpful, what is the process that they're doing to themselves that maybe they're not even aware of? And so our job is to help them kind of pause, unpick it, and then maybe change a couple of the sequences or maybe substitute a few beliefs or to reframe what's going on for them. So some of this sort of language you've heard come out now, but it all begins with mental maps. So the fundamental belief is that we all see the world and experience the world differently. So there you go, see the world. We all experience the world differently. Well, that's no surprise there, is there? How do we then unpick that? If we can accept that that's a truism, okay? Okay, we all experience the world differently. What that then means is that if I'm listening to you or I'm, I'm experiencing you talk about money or fear of flying or anything, travel or relationships, I'm going to put my map of the world onto what you're saying. And that will create in my head, that's a good thing or that's a bad thing. So we can be a little bit judgy with it. That's all normal, by the way. And so because we have these different perceptual maps of what might be right and how that might play out with fear of flying is that if you say something about flying that is not true for me, I will have a reaction. That's cognitive dissonance. I have a reaction to what you say. Your mental map so violently clashes with mine that I cannot even bear to hear it. I can't accept what you've just said. And not only that, confirmation bias also kicks in, which is another term that's come from NLP, which is... I will seek to find evidence to support what I already believe. So in other words, if I believe that turbulence is fundamentally dangerous to an aircraft, which is not, by the way, but if I believe it is, then I will Google and all that sort of information, and I will surround myself with people who violently agree with me because that, that helps, it supports. Otherwise, I've got to accept that my perception of the, the way things are isn't right, and that's quite hard for humans to accept that I might be wrong. The biggest example of that, and this is, is a guy called Pete Legg, who used to be one of our pilots at Virgin. And I've known Pete a long time, since back in the early days when I used to run the Flying Light Fear program. And Pete joined me probably about 2000, um, yeah, probably about 2000. And then we worked together for a few years. He disappeared off and did his own thing. He's back around now and chat, I was chatting to him the other day. And Pete, and he reminded me of an example that happened and this is a true example on a group course where he was talking about turbulence and the fact that you move along. There's no such things as air pockets and you can't plummet. You can't drop out the air. And this, this a wonderful audience member shouted out, oh, I'm not having that. <laughs> and, and we all still laugh about that because the situation was a classic example of somebody sharing what's going on in their head. And most times we don't know, do we? 
because we'll inwardly we'll be going well that's I just don't believe that I don't accept that and we'll just keep it to ourselves. but she actually verbalized it because the filter wasn't in place what was going on which was a lovely example of cognitive dissonance so it's out there you know we've all we all have it you know if somebody says something we don't agree with it we don't believe it we'll either have an internal resistance to it and we might be going that's rubbish that is or we might even just move away from them because it doesn't fit in with our the way that we want to see the world nlp fundamentally is helping people to look at their beliefs so it's a big thing about belief changing belief changing what's your beliefs what's your helpful beliefs about yourself the world your potential which is why you can see why coaches love it. And what are your limiting beliefs? So what are you saying to yourself, which is helpful or not helpful? So an example might be, I'm never going to love flying. I'm never going to love flying. That's a limiting belief. Now, it might be true. However, I often question with curiosity, how helpful is it? So even if you can just tweak it a little bit and say, you know, with some time and a bit of and some proper help, I could learn to like flying. And that will not sit comfortably with people who are very strong where they are. So what we're encouraging here is a little bit of psychological flexibility with yourself and just say, do you know what? I haven't liked it today, but if I, if I keep moving forward, there's a chance that I could actually like flying. Who knew? So that's the basic sort of belief changing, just to sort of like just to be curious and to give ourselves permission to give it a bit of a wriggle and say, is this true for me? You know, obviously, I wasn't born scared of flying. So at some point I've learned it. So there's always a chance that perhaps we could learn something new. Easy to say. So some of the techniques that I would offer you now. One of the techniques which is used a lot is called anchoring. Now, anchoring is where you associate certain feelings with a certain moment in time or life or whatever. It can be, there's lots of ways that people talk about anchoring. Presenters are trained to stand in certain points on the stage. If they're going to make a serious point, you stand at one point of the stage. If you're going to make a slightly quizzical or humorous comment, you stand at another part of the stage. And these are all used as anchor points to train the audience. This is what's going on. So how can we use this information with ourselves? So I'm going to show you a technique now, which is it can be used for anything. So I'd like you to do it with me. You don't need to close your eyes, obviously, especially if you're driving while you're listening to this. It can sometimes help. So first of all, we need to find a powerful bit of resource. So the belief that we have and coaches share this is that individuals have the resources to deal with stuff. Yeah, so we can. Uh, overcome limiting beliefs we can deal with things in our lives because we are very very resourceful but what we sometimes forget is where those resources are and so this technique works by saying let's think about a time so do this now okay i'd like you to think about a time when you were really successful when you've done something when you've been successful you've really knocked it out of the park you've done an amazing thing someone's thanked you for something something you feel really proud of just try and locate something right now that links to that a time when you achieve something you've done something we've all have and what that felt like 
and something you're proud of. And as you think about that, just take, take a moment to think, zap your mind back there. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel in that moment? What did you see? What did you feel? What did you hear in that moment? And just take a moment just to, to pause on that. And as you do that, I'd like you to, I mean, offer you an opportunity to make this an anchor point. So I'd like you to squeeze your finger and thumb together really hard as you think about this, as you think about that experience of something you're really proud of, something where you achieved something, where you overcame something, you felt really proud, you're very pleased with yourself, people are thanking you. Just think about what you saw, what you heard and what you felt. And just take a moment and keep squeezing the finger and thumb as you think about that. Just think about that experience, something that was positive, something you achieved, something, sometime you achieved something, something that was phenomenally powerful, something that you just surprised yourself. And just remember how pleased you were. Just what did you see? What did you feel? What did you hear in that moment? And keep squeezing your finger and thumb together. And see now, let's have an experiment. I'm offering you the opportunity now to double that feeling. See if you could double that feeling right now. I wonder if you could give me the option here. You have give yourself permission to feel even more pleased about it. So modesty aside, something that you did, you knocked it out of the park. You just, wow, can't believe I did that. Yeah, and keep squeezing finger and thumb together. Okay, so you can release the grip and bring yourself back to where we are right now. Now, what I'd like you to do is try an experiment. And I just wonder how much you'll notice this happens again when you just simply squeeze your finger and thumb together. Do you feel anything different? I wonder how have you noticed like those little changes by now, you should be noticing a little bit of a either a reminder, it could be a feeling, could be a thought, it might be a slither of something from that last memory, or it could be a really, some people get an extremely powerful reminder straight away as soon as they do this. So this works for everybody, but it works at a different speed. Now, you might like to practice this again. If you were to do that technique, just what exactly what we did three times and then whenever you need to feel that sense of pride confidence achievement again maybe you're going to go and do a presentation maybe you're going to do an interview maybe you're going to go and have a difficult conversation with somebody maybe you're going to do a flight and then repeat this process remind yourself that you have actually got the resources within you and that is a very simple and very quick version of what anchoring is. And this is a technique that you'll see a lot of NLPers, that's the, that's the word, and coaches will use a lot. You think about the time you did something well, lock it in and then bring it forward. Now, the anchor can be used whenever you want to feel a little bit more confident. And I still use one from a Tony Robbins course that I went on probably 20 odd years ago. 
so we did an anchoring exercise we did it much more sort of hardcore and full-on and stuff but i still use the technique now do i get a wave of that previous can i remember what the original lock point i can't actually but i do notice that when i do this particular technique that if i'm going into a situation where i'm feeling a little bit anxious i do feel slightly more confident or capable i don't know what it is but it obviously over time i've just practiced it now that anchor can be called upon whenever i need it and this is where nlpers talk about changing state and shifting state etc etc now this nlp technique of anchoring can be used for another technique which is used a lot a lot a lot which is future pacing and it's often used through say visualization and a lot of athletes use this a version of this if you want to go into a situation and you know that it's coming up and you don't feel too confident about it you have an anchor you think about yourself feeling confident but also you do you we would take you through a visualization exercise so you might imagine for example and this is in the book so if you want a copy of that the audio one you have to go to the app which is the love fly fear of flying app which is on iPhones only at the moment, I'm afraid. And there's an audio version there. And chapter 12, I, I do this activity. It's a future pacing thing, okay? Just to sort of give you a bit of a whistle-stop tour of this, the technique is to talk you through a thing that's coming up and then for you to imagine it going well. This is a future pacing thing. It helps with an anchor point. So you think about think something else you've done well and, and kind of lock that in. And then you build a picture. So you might imagine walking onto an aircraft, smiling, looking at the cabin crew, saying, where's my seat? Because obviously we can't work out where it is. Uh, going to, walking down to your seat, sitting down, getting comfortable, putting the air vent on, getting all your stuff out of the way, getting out some water, sitting down, getting your books ready and preparing yourself for a flight, knowing that you feel confident and then looking around and smiling at people and perhaps chatting to the person next to you. So this is a future pacing activity, quite common for NLP, very powerful actually, because the brain can be tricked. So just like when you have a dream and you think, oh my God, I've just been chased by a marshmallow monster or whatever, uh, your body will go into those symptoms of panic or scared or fighting or whatever as if it was real because the brain doesn't know any different the imagination is wonderful like that so we if we can imagine and paint ourselves a picture of it going well then we can have more chance of reproducing that when we next go into that feared situation so that's how the the, the future pacing thing works so it works very well for interviews but it also works for anything that you're going towards where you think oh i need a bit of a booster to visualize doing that. So like I said, if you want a, the freebie version of that, go to the Lovefly app, download it. And then the 12th chapter in the audio book has that exercise in there. So there you go. That's, that's something for you to practice if you want to. A couple of other techniques where I'm getting near the time now. So I always like to keep these around 30 minutes. It might go a little bit over today. So I apologize for that. The, another technique which is used is the double dissociation one which I'm just going to talk you through, but I, I used to do this on large scale courses, but I've noticed that it tends to work better with one-to-one -one if you're going to do it at all. And the way it works is that if somebody's had a particularly di difficult flight or bad experience flying, that they can often 
they don't want to think about it or if they think about it it's like in vivid color and it's right in front of their face so the double dissociation is a technique where you invite people to imagine walking into a theater and they're sat in the front and it's a theater all for themselves and up on the screen comes on their that their nightmare flight or whatever it was but they are watching it go on with themselves one step removed so you can watch it you can look at the scene you can be a little bit more objective about it we might invite you to do things like turn the color down turn the volume down uh, make it go faster make it give yourself a cartoon voice but what we're trying to do it's like with a CD, if you wanted to ruin a CD so it didn't play properly ever again, you just scratch it. And that's what we're doing with this technique. So doing this, messing with the image, robs it of some of its power and it becomes less powerful over you. That's one step removed. Sometimes I also do this one, which is where people lose, normally lose the will to live. Say right now, step out of your, now you're gonna be one step removed from that. So you're looking at yourself, looking at the screen. That's double dissociation. So we can be so far away from this scenario whilst we mess around with it that we can just be objective about it. It can turn down the volume, take it from colour to black and white. We can make it comedy. We can put cartoon voices in it, et cetera, et cetera. All of this is just to mess it up, to stop it running so well. And then to finish off that technique, you ask people to step back into the screen and be in the image again and try and recall it as if, it was the first time. And what I find when we do it properly and we do it well, people find it really hard to get back the same feelings. They find that it's, they kind of go, well, it's, it's sort of gone. It's not as bad as it was. It, it doesn't scare me as much. And so if you do this as a repeated thing, it's, it's, not, it's hard to do on your own. You need somebody else to talk you through that. It helps to remove the power of that original scary thing. So that's a common technique that NLP is used. I've covered off sort of the background where it's come from. I've covered off a few techniques and stuff, some of the common assumptions or things that it's based on. So the last part is I'm going to cover my opinion. So my opinion is that actually, well, actually, this, this is the easiest way to give this is just to answer the question, because the first question is, why does it cost so much? And does it actually work? That was the second question. And I think these are reasonable questions. So why does it cost so much? Because not many people can do it well. And so if you go and see somebody who uses NLP, you are going to pay quite a bit of money. But also it's to get you to commit. So if you go along, it's 20 quid, you'd be like, well, yeah, what have I lost? Well, if you have to pay 250 pounds, unless you're loaded, that's going to make you think, hmm, I better turn up and I better be ready to go. So sometimes we pay attention when we pay more. So it's that idea that they'll be like, likely, so they're really committed. Now, of course, that isn't the sole purpose of it. The sole purpose is that it can be done quite quickly. So people who work with NLP are really good at it, might be able to help you get rid of your fear and phobia in two or three sessions. So what's that worth to you? Which is why when you find a good one, they'll charge you quite a lot of money, but you're making an investment in yourself to let go of all that stuff that probably has cost you a lot of money, but also cost you a lot of emotional aggro. So the second question, does it work? Yes, for some people, not for everybody. Some people really resist it. 
But one of the things that NLP is really good at is they look at something that's working. So they look at cognitive behavior therapy or and go, oh, that's quite good. Let's nick a bit of that. So, because they look for excellence and they copy it and then do it in their own way. So it's not plagiarism, augmentation. So they find something that's working and think, well, if we were to use it slightly differently, we might get even quicker results for people because NLP is are about getting results. So does it work? Yes, it does but not 100% for everybody 100% of the time. And that's like anything you could say that. But if you find somebody's really good at it, it can, be, it can be really time and money well spent. One of the criticisms that NLP as a movement has had is where's the evidence, where's the evidence, where's the evidence? And they've been knocked in the past because they used to do things about IQ. So if you look one way, that means something. And they, although we might use this intuitively, if we're using an NLP as part of our coaching practice, we don't rely too heavily on it because people are wired differently. And so not everybody looks the same place to do things, but you can work out what someone's pattern is when they're trying to remember stuff. But that is the thing which is often gets knocked and they say, oh, it's, there's no, let's debunk that. That's rubbish. There's no evidence, blah, blah, blah. Now, I would say the NLP movement has not done its best to go out of its way to get lots of evidence to back up what it does. But there are other approaches out there which use a lot of NLP and they have done the work. So for example, Susan Mungum, who's the psychotherapist with Lovefly, she's trained in something called EMDR. This particular technique, very expensive to go and get trained in, it's expensive to get the treatment, but they absolutely register and honor the fact that some of their thinking came from NLP. But the thing that they've done which is to take it to another level, which is why it's now recommended by the NHS and endorsed, is they went and got some research to back up. Look, this works. NLP is a much more like, if it works, why do I need to prove it? But you can make up your own mind about that. But so my opinion is, yeah, I think it's great. I use it probably nearly every day in my work, elements of it, but I tend to use it with other techniques. I wouldn't say I'm a purist nlp so you might want to go and see people like uh, Jeff Rolls, who's somebody I know who's just amazing at it. He uses a couple of other things as well, but people like that who are just awesome. But most of us use it as part of an integrative approach, along with some other techniques. And in that vein, I would say it's super, super useful. Okay, so that's been 35 minutes. I hope that you found that useful. If you do have any questions, uh, you can always fire them to me, paul at lovefly.co.uk. Just to sort of wrap up this session, thank you very, very much for listening. I uh, really appreciate that. And in the meantime, take care. And I look forward to talking to you again, where I'll be looking at some other therapies and perhaps giving you some different ways to think about those. But thanks for now. Take care. <music>